Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The United States Supreme Court has made a decision in the Texas-New Mexico water lawsuit. I am Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. If we wind up having another dry summer in 2021, it could cause a strain for Texas High Plains feed yards. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. The only thing that stays the same is that things change, and I'm finding that to be true in agriculture. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I'll tell you about it in today's report from North Central Texas. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. The U.S. Supreme Court has weighed in on a legal battle between Texas and New Mexico regarding evaporated water. On Monday, the court said New Mexico should not be responsible for water from the Pecos River intended for Texas that was held in a reservoir to prevent flooding following Tropical Storm Ozile in 2014. According to Reuters, the state of Texas sought compensation under the Pecos River Compact for the water that evaporated as it is vital to farmers and ranchers who use that river water to irrigate their crops. Justice Brent Kavanaugh said the court-appointed river master had not erred when it gave New Mexico credit for the evaporated water. The court found New Mexico did intend to deliver water as agreed to under the Pecos River Compact to Texas. A report last week from USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture and Purdue University shows a strong job demand for new college graduates with degrees in agricultural programs. U.S. college graduates can expect about 59,400 job opportunities annually between 2020 and 2025. This reflects a 2.6% growth from the previous five years. Employer demand will exceed the supply of available graduates with a bachelor's degree or higher in agriculture-related fields. A USDA NEFA spokesperson said students studying agriculture, quote, have made a sound career choice and will graduate into a strong and growing job market in the years ahead. The 2020 land market closes with optimism, according to Farmers National Company. The year started with land prices strengthening before COVID-19. The pandemic paused the land market before interest returned in the summer. Now, Randy DeCutt of Farmers National Company says an improved outlook for grain prices and government aid increasing farm income has resurrected interest in farmland. The optimism has fueled demand for good cropland and the resulting surge in prices as farmers are aggressively buying land while investors also enter the market. Real estate sales for Farmers National Company during October and November were up 49% from the same time a year ago. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Texas High Plains feed yard operators have reason to hope the region's dry spell won't continue much longer. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. 
At current fed cattle prices, Brady Miller of Texas Cattle Feeders Association says area feed yards are losing about $50 to $100 a head on a cash-to-cash basis. One pressure feed yards are facing is what they're having to pay for feed. Miller says the cost of getting cattle up to market weights is running above 90 cents a pound right now, about 20 cents or so higher than was true earlier this year prior to the big jump in corn prices we've seen. It's a situation that could get even tougher on down the road, Miller says, if the region's weather outlook holds up. If you listen to our climatologists that we talked to, they will tell you that La Nina is going to persist for a couple of years here. So we're very easily could find ourselves in a drought situation, potentially could be somewhat like what we found ourselves in 2010, 11, and 12. Miller referring there to years in the not-too-distant past when our region suffered through a historic dry spell that caused the tightening of grain supplies. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Mexico is phasing out glyphosate. Mexico's Agriculture Department has proposed rules for phasing out the use of glyphosate by early 2024. The rules are praised by environmentalists and organic producers but have drawn criticism from many farmers. Mexico's president has long objected to the use of glyphosate, and in late 2019, Mexico blocked a 1,000-ton shipment of it from entering the country. Bayer, which bought out glyphosate's maker Monsanto in 2019, has faced several lawsuits over Roundup here in the United States. The only thing that stays the same is that things change, and that's definitely true in agriculture. Barry Mahler reports from North Central Texas. I was talking with a friend the other day about the changes we've seen in agriculture in our lifetime. I never thought that I would see as much innovation as my dad did. After all, he saw Plains Agriculture go from a team of horses or mules to some pretty large, high-horsepower, four-wheel drive tractors in his years of producing wheat. I didn't think I would see that much change, but when you stop and think about it, you know what? I believe I have. It's easy to take advancements for granted because it all seems to run together. I forget that I added GPS positioning and auto steer to our trackers about 15 years ago. And that's something he never saw, even as progressive as he was for his time. And I'm not sure that he would have, what he would have thought about it if he thought it was a good thing or a bad thing. His generation took pride in making a straight row, whether with a plow, planter, or drill. And he would have certainly appreciated the precision. But it's not the same hitting the button at the end of the row as it is concentrated on that steering wheel on a long run down the field. He did adapt to the air-conditioned cab here, although he didn't mind taking one of the older tractors out every once in a while just to enjoy the fresh air and the smell of fresh-turned soil. Well, that memory of fresh-turned soil is a good one, and I miss it also as we don't plow anymore. It's all no-till now using a sprayer and a herbicide to fight the weeds that we used to turn under. You know, I could go on and on about the changes now that I think about it. But one thing I think that might be the greatest change for me and would have been for my dad, too, and going back to my early years in agriculture, and that's using the calculator as the most important tool in the toolbox. You know, close margins and rising input costs have always been a challenge for producers, but I find taking time to plan and stay abreast of the market is not just something good to do, but crucial to our survival. It seems like in the past we concentrated on raising it first and then trying to make it work later. And now, if it doesn't at least have a chance to work, we just don't do it. And that may be the biggest change of all. This is Barry Mahler reporting from the Rolling Plains for Texas Ag Today. New cotton biotechnology is getting closer to approval. 
Tom Nicoletti has the story. My guest today is John Riley. He is Cotton Launch Lead with Delta Pine, and he joins us from the St. Louis area and is talking about today a new biotechnology trait called Thrive-On that uh, Delta Pine and Bayer have been working on for uh, quite some time. And uh, John, talk about this uh, new and exciting trait and what it will do for cotton farmers when it comes to uh, controlling uh, insects in their cotton fields. We are very excited to be able to bring about Thrive-On technology. It's the industry's first cotton biotech trait that helps cotton growers be able to protect against uh, a few key pests, tarnished plant bugs and thrip species, which are pretty big issues in different parts of the cotton belt. This trait is similar to other insect control traits on the market, like Bogart, uh, where it's a, a BT trait. This is going to provide another uh, tool to growers to be able to manage those pests it may help reduce insecticide applications and give them a lot more management opportunity and flexibilities. One thing, Tom, that cotton growers, especially in Texas, know is that thrips can cause some major issues early in the season. And thrips really have a way to be able to uh, set a cotton crop back and cause injury to it. We're excited that Drive On provides unparalleled protection and really is able to uh, help that cotton crop get off to a good start. And we think it's going to help uh, the crop mature quicker and be able to uh, just really have greater yield potential. Now, John, uh, approval from the Environmental Protection Agency at the Food and Drug Administration have uh, already occurred, but in 2021, uh, you folks are looking at approval from uh, what other entity and, and, and what are your prospects? Yes, Tom. We have the approvals from all government and state uh, agencies except for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and we've been working with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to review this and and go through the proper um, approval process. We just finished our last public comment period to be able to get comments, and we're so thankful that uh, so many growers and industry groups across the cotton belt were able to submit some positive comments to to talk about the need for this product. Um, At this point, it's really an administrative process where the USDA finalizes their final reports, and we're hoping that early in 21 that we're going to have the approval from USDA that this will be deregulated and we'll be able to plant and cultivate this in the U.S. That again is John Riley. He is Delta Pines Cotton Launch Lead. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Dove season resumes this Friday. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And dehorning baby dairy calves is a necessary procedure, but there's some concern over the most humane method to perform that procedure. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that issue coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. 
So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. We've been dehorning baby dairy calves for decades now, but the question comes up from time to time, what is the most humane way to do that? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. A recent study published in the Journal of Dairy Science compared the emotional experience of dehorning or actually disbudding baby dairy calves. Disbudding is the correct term because the horns have not actually attached to the skull at this young age and disbudding is much less painful than waiting until the horns are attached. In the study, 14 bull calves were disbudded by two different methods, by using a caustic paste on one horn and a hot iron on the other horn 48 hours apart. Calves received a sedative, local anesthetic, and pain medication prior to the procedures, and then calves were placed in marked pins depending on the procedure used. These pins were connected to the pins where the disbudding procedure took place, and the time the calves spent in each pin was recorded. The calves spent more time in the pin where the hot iron disbudding method was used compared to the pin where the caustic paste was used. The authors of this study believe that this indicates the caustic paste was a more negative experience than hot iron disbudding. While no method is completely pain-free, caustic paste can still be used but with extreme care and it should be used on calves only a few days old before the horn bud attaches to the skull. The authors also recommended using pain management drugs and limit the amount of paste used as a quarter size amount is all that is needed to remove the horn bud and apply Vaseline around the paste to keep it from spreading on the skin. Keep the paste dry and keep calves out of the rain, as this could cause the paste to spread to the eyes. Also, apply the paste only once, and if ineffective, use a hot iron. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The second segment of the Texas Dove season opens this weekend. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. Dove hunters, get ready. The second segment of dove season opens across Texas on Friday. Owen Fitzsimmons, Webless Migratory Game Bird Program Leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says the first segment of dove season went well for the most part. We got a lot of good reports early in September, and I think it was a better season than we've had the prior couple seasons before that through September. And then as we moved into October, I know we had some early, really cold weather up north and the panhandle of North Texas had a big cold front come in with some snow. And I think a lot of the birds that they typically get in October might have just shot right on past in the central and south Texas. So I know they had kind of a disappointing October in some areas up north. But overall, the first segment was really good for most of the reports that I heard. While the first segment of dove season went well for most areas, the second segment will likely require more effort by hunters. You know, the second segment's always a little harder to predict. It's primarily based on, you know, how many birds we've had move in for the winter, how many birds are still left up north. At this point, most of the birds should be here that are going to be coming up from the states north of us. But, you know, it's kind of a different ball game when you're hunting the late season. You know, most of the birds are older. 
Many of them have probably been shot at. Food and water is a little more scarce, so you, you got to shift your tactics. It's not so much the big grain fields and the big ag fields. you got to start looking at some of the native pastures and be ready to move on the birds when you find them because scouting is kind of key in the late season. These birds move around in big groups, and they're, they're here one day and gone the next. That was Owen Fitzsimmons with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. We'll have more with him here tomorrow on the Texas Wildlife Radio Show. In the meantime, be sure to check out this year's dove season regulations on the Outdoor Annual online. That's OutdoorAnnual.com or use the Outdoor Annual app. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Well, it was a positive day for the cattle market. We ended up closing higher in both live and feeder cattle, and we saw the cotton market continue to climb. We'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was a higher day for the cattle market in both live and feeder cattle futures. We saw a positive close with December live cattle up 17 cents, 108.77. February live cattle up 90, 113.77. The April up 70 cents, 117.82. Feeder cattle closing higher. January feeders up 75, 140.85. March feeders up a dollar seven, one forty one ninety seven. The April up a dollar seven at one forty three twenty five. Cash fed cattle market. We've seen some light sales. One oh five seems to be the live number this week so far. One sixty five to one sixty seven dressed. All those sales happening up north. Here down south, no sales reported yet, but we do see the feedlots still asking one ten this week. Boxed beef prices mixed choice down a dollar ninety five. 20687 select up 28 cents 19248 let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now we start in east texas east texas livestock in crockett sold 2652 head this week the trend steady to lower 2 to 3 weight steers a dollar 47 to a dollar 98 a pound 3 to 4 weights a dollar 33 to a dollar 92 4 to 500 pounders a dollar 23 to a dollar 82 Five to six weight steers, a dollar eighteen to a dollar sixty-one, and six to seven hundred pounders brought a dollar ten to a dollar forty-three a pound. Slaughter cows thirty-two to fifty-four cents. Slaughter bulls seventy-three to eighty-eight. Stocker cows six forty to twelve fifty a head. Cow calf pairs eight hundred ten to twelve seventy-five a pair. Now we'll head down to South Texas Gulf Coast Livestock Auction in Alice. Sold 544 head. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, a dollar thirty-one to a dollar fifty-five a pound. Three to four weights, a dollar thirty-five to a dollar forty. Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar twenty to a dollar forty-four. Five to six weight steers, a dollar fourteen to a dollar forty a pound. 
Six to seven weights, a dollar six to a dollar twenty-one, and the heavy seven to eight weight steers bought ninety cents to a dollar a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty to fifty-five cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-seven to seventy-five. Stocker cows, seven hundred to a thousand dollars a head. Cow calf pairs, seven fifty to eleven hundred a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed lower. February hogs down 47 cents, 65.97. The April down 25 at 69.32. Class 3 milk lower. December down 13 cents, 15.66. January milk down 21 cents, 16.11, 100 weight. The cotton market continuing to climb. We're still feeling the effects of those bullish reports last week. Of course, the weekly export sales report for the last few weeks has looked very good. Last week was no exception. And the supply and demand report last Thursday, very bullish for the cotton market. Traders waiting on Thursday morning's export sales report, hoping it continues the trend of very strong cotton exports. March cotton up six points, 75.65. The May up nine, 76.43. December 21 cotton up seven points closing at 73.34 cents. The wheat market drifted lower on Wednesday. Not a whole lot of news in the wheat market right now. We do have that weak dollar out there that's putting some support into the market, but that didn't stop prices from drifting lower on Wednesday. March Kansas City wheat down four and a half, five sixty-one and a half. New crop July wheat down three and three quarters, five sixty-seven and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down one and a half, five ninety-five a bushel. Corn closed slightly higher. March corn up two and a half, four twenty-seven and a quarter. September corn up two cents, four fifteen and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas unchanged at two sixty-eight. January crude oil up seventeen cents, forty-seven seventy-nine a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down seventeen points, thirty thousand one eighty-one. The Nasdaq up eighty, twelve thousand six seventy-five. The S&P 500 up 10, 3,705. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Remember, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. We'll see you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.